On today's episode of SSI Executive Conversations, Darwin sits down with Kwame Omer, the managing partner at MedTech Impact Partners and the founder of MedTech Color. Their conversation includes a deep dive into what MedTech Color is, the MedTech Color pitch competition, Kwame's own journey in the MedTech world, and some of his key leadership advice. Well, we have an incredibly talented and amazing individual joining us on the SSI Executive uh, Conversations podcast today. And I think this is going to be a, a, a podcast that is downloaded quite a bit. So welcome Kwame Omer uh, to the podcast. He's the managing partner at MedTech Impact Partners, which is a regulatory strategy consulting firm, which uh, everybody knows I love regulatory affairs. So that is pretty cool. Kwame brings over two decades of experience evaluating medical technologies, not only in the government and private sectors, but also serving in senior operating roles at different medical device companies to help them successfully engage with the FDA, which he would know a little bit about the FDA for sure. Uh, he's personally evaluated more than 1,000 medical technologies in his career, which is incredible. Uh, so he spent 12 years at the FDA in progressive leadership roles, which is why he knows quite a bit about the FDA. Uh, he served as the Vice President of Regulatory Affairs and Quality Assurance at Implant Direct, which is uh, one of Danaher Corporation's many operating companies. He is also a venture partner at WaveMaker 360 Health, which is the leading Southern California-based early stage venture capital firm. So they do seed and series A, which is completely focused on the healthcare industry. I know this could be a podcast in and of itself, just introducing how his, uh, his background here, but he leads the med tech practice and participates in all aspects of fund managing. So deal sourcing, diligence, negotiation, and advising portfolio companies, management teams on next steps. So Kwame, not surprisingly, also sits on the board and advises several privately held med tech companies, uh, serves on the boards of Incendia Inc. and Stratos Labs. He's also a board member of the Lincoln University Foundation for the University of Virginia Licensing and Venture Groups and California Life Sciences. Uh, in his spare time, in between probably somewhere between 3 a.m. and like 5 a.m., he's also a lecturer and researcher in the mid-tech innovation at the University of California, Los Angeles. So one of the key things we're going to talk about today is Kwame founded MedTech Color, which is a nonprofit with a mission to advance the representation of persons of color in the medical device industry, uh, which we are uh, you know, a sponsor of. Uh, he earned his BS in physics from Lincoln University. I mean, everybody goes to school for physics. And I mean, is there anything, right? <laughs> I mean, this guy... I know he's he's you, nobody's going to say he's not smart enough. Right. Uh, has two master's degrees from the University of Virginia in materials engineering and then business administration. What, so what a com comprehensive um, and impressive education and background. So welcome, Kwame. Thank you so much for your kindness and your time and coming on to share your experience and expertise with our following. Darren, it's really a delight to be with you in, in SSI. Thank you. Yeah, you're very welcome. So let's get right into it because, you know, I know the first time that you and I met and talked about what MedTech Color stands for and, you know, what SSI stands for and, you know, do our values align. And, um, you know, I think it's really important to, you know, live what you believe and, and you know, believe what you live in a sense. So tell us what MedTech Color is. Absolutely, Darwin. MedTech Color is a nonprofit with a mission to advance the representation of overlooked, underrepresented ethnic minorities in the industry. 
And we focus on med tech, digital health, diagnostics, but not just companies, investors, service providers, anyone in the ecosystem. We want this to be a home for those people. Oh, that's I think that's awesome. Um, so let's go. Let's go. Let's let's step back a little bit because you're the founder. And, mm-hmm. you know, when when I found out how MedTech Women was started, I mean, I thought that was a super neat story. Um, so tell tell me a little bit about when the idea came to you and, and, and you started to execute. Like, why did you start MedTech Color? I think I think in terms of what you said on what it is already kind of explains that. But I'd love to kind of understand the nuance behind where that idea, you know, started to, to, to formulate and, and then execute. Absolutely. So the idea started at a large medical device conference. I was having a mentoring session with a colleague, Dr. Michelle McMurray-Heath. I was in a corporate role. And towards the end of the conversation, I just kind of broke down and said, man, it's really lonely in this place. (laughs) And I asked her, I I said, um, and the reason why it's lonely, because I went to this meeting of 100 leaders within the business, and I was the one African-American in a group of 100 leaders. And that was just one example. And I asked her, is there any place where I can just kind of recharge, see other people that maybe have similar backgrounds? And she said, no, there isn't. I said, is there room for a new organization? And she thought there was. Fast forward, we had a meeting of 15 leaders from Medtronic and BD. What was that time frame? Yeah, that was like... That was like around 2016, okay. Because we didn't formally get started until about a year later. Um, but then my my employer at the time co-hosted a dinner with all these amazing leaders. Yeah. Same types of conversations happen, and from there we had some focus group sessions and formally launched the nonprofit in 2017. That so. is that is awesome. Okay, that's very very cool, and that and that makes sense. Um, so. I can't help myself. Like, I mean, because I here's why I can relate so much to that is because like I have not started like a, a redneck, like, you know, med tech redneck. But uh. you have no idea at some of these conferences what it's like being the only. <laughs> I mean, OK, all right. So and, and you don't know how much truth there is to that. But anyway, I'm going to I'm going to move forward here. Um, I, I got a laugh out of you. But um, so. What's the benefit of someone, and, and I, I'm, I'm biased. Uh, I think there's great benefit to it. I love, I'm going to steal your thunder, so I shouldn't steal your thunder. But like there's, it's not just a matter of, hey, I belong to this organization and I'm going to put this money in. They're helping people look at opportunities to get funding. There's so much support there. And us being out in the marketplace and talking to, to all, you know, I think what our last statistics, I think, you know, 60, over 50% of the candidates we placed over eight years are, diverse candidates because, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and look, it's all about what you want to do, where, where have you come from? What do you want to do? What's your experience? How does that match up with the company once? And I, I used to be care if you're from Mars, which isn't a very, you know, some people don't take that. So I'd like to think I'm a lot wiser about, uh, you know, what, what, maybe what my answer is, uh, in my position, because I'm certainly not here to solve anything, but I can be a part of the solution and I can, uh, bring awareness is what I'd like to think. But what what is somebody uh, benefit? What's the benefit of somebody being a member of MedTech Color? So as an individual, um, very practically, if you want to be a mentor or be mentored, we have a framework 
um, to connect you with those people. Mm-hmm. If you as a member want to get more exposure and speak on panels, we have a mechanism to expose you there. Wow. And quite candidly, because we have relationships with great service providers, great search firms like yours, if you're looking for a new job, you can engage with partners like you um, to find that next new role. We also have programs to invest in early stage companies with diverse founding teams. We have a program called Collaborative Community. If you wanna be involved in recruiting more people of color to clinical trials, those are other ways where you can uh, contribute your talents and expertise and hopefully get something great out of it. But yeah, those are some examples and it's been a pleasure partnering with you, Darwin, uh, for sure. Well, I appreciate it, man. The feeling's absolutely mutual, uh, nothing but respect. So, and I, I talked to a young lady just a couple weeks ago. There are still people out there that don't feel, they feel like you, like, where do I get to? And I'm like, I asked her, I said, well, you, you know, she's from Chicago. I'm like, are you familiar with MedTech Color? She's like, no. I'm like, you need to be involved with, with, like, you know, what a great, great place to be involved with. So Kwame, tell me about the MedTech Color pitch competition and what's in store, what's coming for next year. And I'd love to make sure we get the dates in there so we can get that out from a promotional standpoint as well. Absolutely. Our pitch competition provides not just capital, but access to world-class accelerators like MedTech Innovator, uh, corporate accelerators sponsored by ResMed, and exposure to the NIH and NSF, and a mini accelerator where you can get mentored by experts from Johnson & Johnson MedTech. So we're excited about it, and you have until November 10th, 2023 to apply. Excellent, excellent. So... This is an area I really, I think people will really appreciate. And, but I'd, I'd really like to delve into your career. I mean, you've got incredible experience from multiple viewpoints. You understand on the governing body side, what the FDA is looking at, how they look at things. And I think it's easy to be, if you don't have that experience to look on the other side and say, look, why do they do that? I don't understand this. And obviously the marketplace, when you look at just combination products, Mm-hmm. how things have changed. Like, wait a minute, who's responsible for that now? This is no longer just in this lane or that lane. And now you look at what's going on with uh, software as a medical device and cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. It is, technology is moving fast. And so maybe, and then also you, you, you understand the, the, the joint venture, the startup side, you understand the, the industry side. So tell us a little bit about your career in the FDA and maybe some of the key things that you think uh, people would appreciate. So I loved my time at the FDA and working there and you get a sense for how the FDA consistently thinks about evaluating safety and effectiveness. And there are patterns that um, I was fortunate enough to pick up and I didn't realize it at the time, but having spent 12 years there, you get a sense of the same types of concerns that the CEO and the regulatory leader has and the quality leader has. But then when I moved to the private sector, I got an acute appreciation for the importance and the focus companies have on FDA audits, responding to 483s and warning letters, et cetera. And I believe that's given me a balanced approach or a balanced way to think about where a company needs to really double down. For example, we've been in this industry a long time. We can remember when cybersecurity, people couldn't even spell cybersecurity. <laughs> right. Now, right? <laughs> but now, 
everybody and their mother, if you're not thinking about cybersecurity, I feel like I can say this, you're out to lunch, right? And so- Yeah, it's like, if you don't understand what's going on with digital optimization, mm-hmm. affecting every single functional category of a business, then it's like, it's like, hey, I'm looking for a job to go door-to-door doing door-to-door sales. But hey, you're, you're, <laughs> you, you don't know what world you're in, but the world's almost over from any type of business standpoint. So, um, And that's, that's the beauty of living, breathing, sleeping in an industry. Um, when they meet with people like you or me, they get the advantage of 20 years of being able to see this is where you really need to focus. This is less important. You know, I was just on an FDA webinar. I was looking at the latest FDA guidance because this is this is what this is what I do. You know, right? Um, so that's the fun part of it at this point. So, in terms of, I, I don't want to leave that too early. What what are so? What's one of the key? Let's do this. What's one of the key things that you did when you were there that you'd want to share? responsibility wise. So it was to me a, a, a peak event in my career. We had a public um, forum on LASIK and believe it or not, as safe as LASIK was, we had some anecdotal evidence that because of this one side effect, dry eye, um, people were actually committing suicide. So we convened wow. uh uh, yeah, right. Like, who knew, right? I think when the general public thinks about LASIK, they think, oh, of course, it's been around for decades, you know, better than glasses, all the benefits, but they don't think about, and that's what we're trained to think about the FDA is safety. So we picked up on these signals, convened um, the most rigorous evaluation, which is taking it to what's called panel. And I was fortunate enough to oversee that process. And it just, it's, where all your T's have to be crossed and all your I's have to be dotted, but you have to think through meticulously with the help of world-class experts about the risk and benefit of something as simple as dry eye and whether there should be any changes to labeling or other safety mitigations put in place. Excellent. What is something, before we kind of move on to the next one, the the next question that I had for you, What's one of the key things that you see happening right now or coming with with the FDA that people should be aware of? Yeah, software, software, software. Uh, I'm probably not the first person who said this, but when you look at the the volume of guidance and the cadence in which it's coming out, it's clear that the FDA is placing resources and emphasis on this because the days of, you know, hardware-only products... They're not going to go away, but there's ever increasing software in a medical device and software as a medical device. And even though we've had some bumps in the road with paratherapeutics, um, there's still a lot of venture capital that's poured into this space. And uh, understanding software, cybersecurity, optimization, mm-hmm. all those are going to be, if I was starting my career now, if I was advising someone with one to five years of experience, I would say be familiar with all things software at at least at a medium level because it's not going anywhere no i agree i agree with you absolutely you look at wearable technologies and digital health uh 2019 i believe you know it's either 21 27 billion um level uh in terms of investment the amount of investment there Mm -hmm. um the way it's growing it dipped after after the pandemic but 
15, 16, going to be probably close to that again this year. And it, growing, when you look at uh, you know, wearable technology, certainly monitoring robotic surgical uh, platforms, and then AI, those are all growing med tech in general, six to 7% overall annual CAGR. But in those areas, it's the same way for 23 to 28. So just wearable technologies alone is predicted by 2028 to go over $100 billion. billion. That is so if you know understanding what you're interested in in terms of your personal while what the mission statement is of the company and how it benefits patient populations and then where it's growing obviously from an opportunity and a career standpoint that's going to be significant um so i think you're spot on there but okay after that so you go to business school and then you know you're you're bored because you're probably done with your third degree or you know, your second master's <laughs> and so you go into early stage investing, which I thought I knew a little bit about investing and I've done investments in mutual funds in, in, in my past. And then I went to LSI and I was like, I don't know anything about anything about, in, about uh, that part of things. So it's been a really learning part. But tell us about, you know, that part of your journey. Yeah. So it was um, after I left Danaher, I had a consulting practice and I was in Southern California. <clears throat> and it's a fairly small medtech ecosystem. And I struck up a professional relationship with a gentleman, Jay Goss, who is a general partner in the fund, and they were raising their first fund to invest in early stage medtech. But it actually, the bug got planted in um, at the FDA because there was a, a gentleman there who was a, a fellow in this program called the Kaufman Fellowship, where they train you how to be a venture capitalist. Um, so I always had my eye out for it. And I thought this was a great opportunity to join Jay. We raised fund one together with some other talented partners. And uh, because of my background in med tech, I, I led that I lead that practice where we focus on traditional medical devices and diagnostic investments. OK. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so obviously, I think we both have a huge respect for leadership and what leadership means. Mm -hmm. So, and how important it is, uh, as, as we look, you know, we do a lot of education-based marketing and webinars just for the ecosystem on five main reasons why companies fail and companies succeed. And then, you know, what are those KPIs you look, look at and, um, eh, it doesn't matter how far you go back, what industry, you know, mission and vision and the leadership team, certainly, uh, alignment within the company and then talent. Those are always key reasons why companies fail or succeed. Mm -hmm. And so what, maybe give us your thoughts on uh, what key leadership advice you would, you would share with everyone. Well, um, I deal with a lot of early stage companies and um, for better or for worse, if you like it or you don't, we were talking earlier about parts of the job we like, parts of the job we don't, uh, raising capital because I work with venture-backed companies uh, and access to capital has to be either your number one job or number two job. So tactically speaking, yeah. for early stage companies, now, you know, if you're at Medtronic, you don't have to necessarily <laughs> public markets, but early stage right. companies. And the best companies then show the ability and some, and it's not necessarily the most charismatic person, but they have the ability maybe small c charisma to attract top talent not c players but right a players um those are two critical pieces and um 
the last thing that I learned in, in business school is bias towards action, many pivots, but always trying to move forward um, and using the making the best use of that capital. But those are probably some of the, the three main things I think about when I think about the very best companies that I've come across. Yeah. Yeah. I think I believe that that is extremely smart, what you just said. And as you know, starting a business I mean, gosh, 70% of businesses don't make it 10 years. And most people know that, you know, it depends on what you look at and what area, but anywhere to you know, 30%, 40% don't make it the first year. 30 to 50 don't make it the second year. And then of the ones that are left, it's something like 40 plus percent aren't around after year five. So, mm-hmm. gosh, being in business is hard. Staying in business is hard and scaling is all, and then a whole nother animal, which is why so many don't make it because maybe they do well and then they try to scale and they don't do that well. And so how you utilize your resources. And I have seen so many different there's so many different ways that obviously you can do things relevant to talent management strategies, relevant to how you invest your capital. But if you do these things transactionally, you will get transactional results. And if you put the wrong leadership in and, and you don't really understand what your purpose is, uh, people don't know the mission statement. That's not a part of your interview process. <laughs> you're, you're not going to get people that match the mission statement, which therefore you're going to get lower employee engagement. You're going to waste more resources because there's always going to be things that that go wrong, which is why we're a big advocate uh, and, you know, our partners helping them delineate between uh, the, in the interview process, between the cultural fit and then whatever the technical area is in each functional area. Because if you don't do that well, you can hire somebody that's a 12 out of 10, but if they don't have high emotional intelligence and they don't play well with other people. So getting the right leadership is so vital. So I think that's really smart. Thank you so much. I, I, I kind of wish we had another four or five questions to go through here. So um, you got any parting shots for us? But uh, I really appreciate your time. Uh, well, first of all, Darren, I do as well. Um, please, um, I hope your audience looks out for the pitch competition. And yep. our next big event is our networking breakfast, which is happening October 9th at the MedTech Conference in Anaheim, California. But Darren- Avamed. Avamed. I'll I'll see you there. Outstanding, sir. And thank you again. This is great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it and look forward to continuing uh, our relationship and collaborating in the future, my friend. Absolutely, Darwin. Okay. Thanks, Kwame. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the SSI Executive Conversations podcast. If you'd like to see more, please follow us on LinkedIn and subscribe to our YouTube and RSS. Visit SureXSolutions.com to learn more about SSI and receive a complimentary consultation.